Today's video was recorded on November 29th, 2022. This is the final lesson in our series through the book of Exodus. In today's lesson, we look at the connection between the events in Exodus, where God delivers the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, and the Acts chapter 2 Pentecost event, where God delivers the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to make this connection, we need to know something about the biblical holiday system that God implements in both Exodus and Leviticus. Jesus and his disciples, as well as the rest of the New Testament authors, were immersed in this cycle of the holiday system. So they know their holidays and they know the symbolism of that holiday and what that represents. In fact, the story of Jesus as the Redeemer is wrapped up in God's holiday system. This is why studying the biblical holiday is a gold mine for Christians. Once you understand the basics of the holiday system and the symbols that are used, things begin to make more sense in the New Testament. So this lesson not only completes our series on the book of Exodus, but it's going to lead us into our next series, which is going to be the biblical holidays. And these biblical holidays, they'll be introduced in this lesson today, but the series will begin in January of 2023. So make sure that you keep an eye out for that series to begin. Now, as a reminder, each lesson has a class handout and it's linked below in the show notes. So make sure you download that handout. These handouts are designed to help you organize the information and follow along with the teaching. And you can also take your own notes or explore the numerous passages that we don't have time to go over in the lesson, but will help you expand your biblical foundation. So again, make sure you download that handout. It really does help with your information retention. All right, on with the lesson. This week on the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai in Exodus, compared to the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So this is going to be number, well, this is going to be our last one in the book of Exodus. And I'm kind of reaching back a little bit towards what's happening on Mount Sinai. And then we're going to connect that with Acts chapter 2. So I'm calling it Exodus, the Torah, Torah. We usually translate Torah as law, but really it means instruction or guidance guidebook. God gave us an instruction manual. How do we live in this world? So Exodus, Torah, that's what God delivers on Mount Sinai, and then the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit is what we get at Pentecost. And these are all connected, and it's very important to really understand the impact of that Pentecost holiday, where it's coming from, where all the imagery is coming from. It's why it's so important to know those holidays because all of that imagery is in the New Testament. If we don't know our Old Testament and the biblical holidays, we miss it. So here is the background picture, an artist rendering of the disciples on the day of Pentecost. It was on Adobe Photos, so it wasn't like it was done by a famous painter in, in the 1700s or something. So this is the 30th and the final one in our journey through the book of Exodus. And again, we're going to connect Exodus, the Torah, God giving his revelation that he, that he revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, and we'll connect that to the Holy Spirit. So basically, the whole lesson tonight looks like this. 
number one, is we're going to compare these two events. In the book of Exodus, God delivers something. That's what we would say. God delivers the Torah. He comes down on Mount Sinai. He reveals the covenant to them. They accept that covenant. They enter the covenant relationship. And off into history we go with Israel. And then you get up to Jesus. And after Jesus is here, we have Acts chapter or Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost event. And on that Pentecost event, God's going to deliver something again. And he's going to deliver the Holy Spirit. And we all know that event from uh, Acts chapter 2. But what most people don't know, because most people, most Christians don't connect the Greek word Pentecost, which is actually the name of the Jewish holiday that we find way back in uh, the book of Leviticus. And it's the point where God delivers the Torah to the Israelites. So these two are connected. And what I want to suggest is that we have, I want to reimagine for modern Christians this holiday of Pentecost to say we need to celebrate both the deliverance of God's words, the fact that we have God's words, and the power that he gives us to walk in the world, both delivered on the same exact holiday, but a thousand years apart. So for us, we've got to go back and put those holidays into the New Testament, understanding what they are. Okay. So Greek, by the way, the Greek Pentecost means 50 days. We'll get to that. In Hebrew, Shavuot, which just means weeks, the festival of weeks. I'll show you that in a second. So this is what we're going to do. Connect these two things. And I think when you get it, when you finally see it, boy, it's pretty amazing what God is up to. And then what can we do to celebrate that? So the first thing we start with, this is going to be number two, is I put on your handout and I'll, my next slide says biblical holidays. But they're actually God's appointed feasts. Now, the word that's used in Leviticus. Here are my appointed feasts or appointed holidays. God's making an appointment with us. Are you going to show up? Because he's going to meet you there. And so we want to see in those holidays, when we show up, it's amazing what, God, what happens, uh, how God moves, even for Christians. And I know many Christians have gone back and have renewed these holidays to say, how can we understand them? in light of what Jesus did. So God's appointed feasts. So there's seven of them. And this is going to be the whole class that we start in January, because it takes much more than we're going to do tonight. We're only going to look at one holiday. It takes much more to walk through all the details. But let me give you the seven and at least try to give you a brief connection. So the first one starts, we saw this in Exodus, with the Passover. That's, of course, the great story, the battle of God versus Pharaoh, and the Passover brings them out of Egypt. So it happens on the 14th day. We learn that in um, the book of Exodus, in Exodus 12. You'll also, I put this on your handout, where you can find these, Exodus 12 and Leviticus 23. So we have Passover. That's the 14th day of the first month. 
The next holiday is called Unleavened Bread. It happens on the 15th day of the first month, so it's the very next day. That is also detailed in Exodus 12. Then, what you don't see in Exodus 12 is the next holiday called First Fruits. Now, all of these holidays happen in the same week, all the time. They're always in the same week 14th day, 15th day, and then First Fruits, day after the Sabbath. And so, First Fruits, day after the Sabbath, is normally Sunday. Okay? Now, these are, all of these holidays are agricultural. So, they're based on some harvest. And in this case, the first one is the barley harvest. That's early. All of those Passover unleavened bread all happen about late March, early April, sometimes a little bit later in April. Those are the first three holidays. Then, you have the next holiday called the Festival of Weeks, and that's what we're going to look at tonight, Shavuot, which means weeks, where God says in Leviticus, I want you to count seven weeks. And seven weeks, for those who can do math, is 49 days. Then God says in the very next sentence, count to 50 days. 50 days in Greek is where we get the word Pentecost. 50 days. So the holiday of Pentecost isn't new to the New Testament. It shows up way back in uh, the Old Testament with Moses. This is another harvest. This is wheat now. The wheat grain is coming out. And so it's a huge harvest festival for the wheat that God willing will get you through the year. Now, if you just stop right there and you say we've got four holidays on the board, right? The first three all happen right together. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Well, if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus died on Passover. He is the Passover lamb. He's God's Passover lamb. He's buried. He's put into the ground as the, well, he's the bread of the world, but he's the unleavened bread. Leaven is a representative of sin. So if he's the bread of the world, he's unleavened bread. So he dies on Passover buried on unleavened bread, and the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, he's raised. And Paul says, it's the, Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. One, two, three holidays in a row, and Jesus hits them all. And then, as we'll see tonight, he, he, he resurrects, he walks around for 40 days, says, okay, guys, I'll see you later. Go hang out at the temple. He ascends, and 10 days later, on the holiday of Pentecost, the next, very next holiday, count, where it says count 50 days, he descends in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is four for four in the, in the year that he died. All of that happens within about 54 days of his death. So you can see right there, that's worth the price of admission. Where Jesus, you, you, it's like when people finally see how he's connected to all those holidays, you say, whoa, that's amazing. Okay, then, then you go to the fall festivals. This is what most people know as the high holidays. So you have the Festival of Trumpets. That's in the first day of the seventh month. That's not until sometime around September to October. Then you have the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And these, again, harvest is anything else that's coming in. Grapes, olives, pomegranates, whatever it is that's coming off the trees. And so if we say, well, look, if Jesus died on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, raised on first fruits, Holy Spirit on the, on the Feast of Weeks, well, what's next? What's number five? The trumpet blast. What are we all waiting for? The call. We're waiting for the second coming, and it's going to be announced with the trumpet blast. That's why every September, the, the anxiety of whether Jesus is coming back ramps up because everybody knows he's following the holiday system. He's probably not going to show up on, like, you know, I don't know, May 10th, randomly. He's probably going to follow the holiday system, meaning his second coming would be sometime at the Feast, the, uh, feast of Trumpets. So, okay, this is the whole point, that we got to know these holidays, but these holidays are inside of Exodus as well. So we need to look at, now we're going to focus on the Feast of Weeks, that, that middle holiday, okay? So, if we look at a basic timeline, and this is number three on your handout, just a basic timeline for the Festival of Weeks, Hebrew Shavuot, okay? Looks something like this. Passover on the 14th day of the first month, unleavened bread the, f- the 15th day of the first month, then first fruits, now in Exodus, um, they don't have first fruits, but it's in, it, it's in there in the holiday system. So all of this happens one, two, three days in a row sometimes. Then you begin to count. God says, count seven weeks, which is 49 days. And on the 50th day, celebrate a festival. So what you get is the festival of weeks, Pentecost. 50 days after you did the first fruit offering. And so this is just, well, I'll show you why this is important to give you that basic outline. And oh, by the way, they count down. It's called the counting of the Omer. And the Omer is a, is a wave offering. So the counting of the Omer, 49, 48, 47, kind of like people do a, a Advent calendar where they count down the days till Christmas, something like that. Okay, so this is the basic structure. And you say, okay, well, what if we took that basic structure, Passover all the way out to the, to f- the Festival of Weeks, and we said, okay, now let's look at the timeline of Exodus. So this is number four in your handout. What if we apply this then to Exodus and say, what were, the, what were the Israelites doing with Moses in Egypt, right? Well, we know, we just went over all of this, that the Passover, that's where God passes over the blood that's on the doorpost. And because of that, the, the Egyptians say, yes, leave here, right? And they, they, they didn't have enough time to allow their bread to rise. So you have unleavened bread, and then they're stepping off out of Egypt in the, in, the, in the Exodus. Now, how long then does it take them to get to Mount Sinai? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but we know that they get there just before the very next holiday. So in tradition is that it takes them 40 days, okay? So this is just, this is now tradition because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how many days. 
So when they leave Egypt, how many days does it take to get to Mount Sinai? 40 days. I mean, the 40 days is a good biblical day. 40 days and 40 years in the desert, 40 days in the desert for Jesus, 40 days and nights on Mount Sinai for Moses. So 40 days. What does Moses do when he gets to Mount Sinai? He ascends. He goes up to meet God. And then, according to Jewish tradition, on the 50th day, down comes Moses and he's got the words of God, the Torah. Okay, so this is this picture that we get from Passover all the way till the, that Pentecost event where God is de- giving the Torah to Moses and he descends with the Torah. This is what the picture would look like. And the reason this is so important is now we want to take this picture and say, what happened to then? What happens to Jesus during that final weeks of his life, leading up to his death, death, resurrection, and ascension? So, what about Jesus and the Pentecost holiday? Well, it goes like this: Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. He's crucified on the holiday. All of the um, Bible writers are pointing out that it's Passover and unleavened bread, because Jesus represents that Passover lamb. If you're covered in his blood, then you're delivered out of the bondage of slavery, whatever you're enslaved to. So Passover, unleavened bread. Unleavened bread happens to be a Saturday that year. So Sunday, first fruits, Jesus resurrects. He comes out of the ground as the first fruits of the resurrection, as Paul says. How long does Jesus walk around with his disciples? 40 days. Are you seeing a pattern here? And then, what does Jesus do after 40 days? He ascends. We have his ascension. And he tells the disciples, stay here in Jerusalem until you get power from the Father. And Luke tells us that day and night, they were at the temple worshiping God. So they're at that temple mount where the presence of God lives. And 10 days later is the holiday of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and down comes the Holy Spirit. So you can see that there's what's happening here. And if then you put them right next to each other, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Let me see where I'm at now. So I just went over number four on your handout. So Moses, 40 days, he ascends. Then 10 days later, he delivers the Torah on Mount Sinai. Jesus, same thing. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. 40 days, he walks around with his disciples. He ascends. And then he descends, or the Holy Spirit descends on Pentecost. I mean, this is the first time I ever realized what was happening with these holidays. Just blew my mind because you can see God is coordinated. The same thing is happening, it's the same cycle that's repeating in Jesus' day. But if we don't know those holidays, we'll miss it. There are so many references to these holidays inside our New Testament that we just go right past them because we don't have any context for what they mean. Now, just in case, just in case you think, uh, well, maybe this is just coincidence. Let me show you something. If you have your Bible, Open it up to Exodus 32, 
verse 28. So Exodus 32. Now, if you recall, Exodus 32 is the golden calf incident. So God, or I'm sorry, Moses is up on the mountain with, with God. God says, uh, we got a problem going on down there in the camp. They thought you were gone. They started to worship a golden calf. Uh, now you got to go down there and do something about it. So what happens? Moses goes down. He talks to Aaron. He says, look, we need to punish these people. Get the Levites together. Sword at their side and send them out, anybody who had who was involved in this abomination. And if you look at Exodus 32, verse 28, how many people died that day? Well, the text tells us. It says, the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. So you have, right after that uh, delivery of the Torah, 3,000 people die. So if we go back here, we pop in that number 3,000. Well, if we fast forward now to, to the book of Acts, and you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter stands up, emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches a sermon about the power of God and how many people are saved that day. 3,000. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Can you hear God speaking? So you have 3,000 died on Mount Sinai after the golden calf. You get to Jesus. 3,000 people are saved. That is not a coincidence. It's like everything's turning over. There's, a, there's another rebirth with the death, death resurrection of Jesus is sending us off into a new era. And the way God shows us is through this pattern of the holidays, if we have eyes to see them. So again, I think these little details just blow my mind every time I talk about them. It's like, ah, I get so amped because it's so cool what God is doing. If we can only have eyes to see that as we're reading the text and, and understand where those comparisons are coming from. So this is pretty cool. And I think you can see the power of the Holy Spirit. We can celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit, but without God's words, the Torah that was delivered Right? We can run around crazy with the Spirit, but we don't have God's words. We're not anchored in there. And so I think we have to look at this, even as Christians, to say, ah, we celebrate God giving us his Torah, because that's what he did the first Pentecost. But then we celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit that was unleashed, the power that God gives us to, to be able to implement and obey those commandments. And we can't forget we can't forget one side we can't forget the the part about the torah and only stick with the holy spirit so this is the whole point right here those two things are connected and if we don't know that we miss something now i want to do something a little bit new because there's so much in these holidays you can always do something a little bit new and what i want to talk about is celebrating then what could we do 
first of all, how do um, within within Jewish communities how do they celebrate that Pentecost or what they call Shavuot holiday? How do they celebrate? And then what could we do to celebrate this that would bring in a, a layer of uh, meaning that perhaps wasn't there before? Because God is providing us a framework that from the time that we celebrate the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that we got 49 days and we start counting down until the de- we celebrate the deliverance of that Holy Spirit. And it's a framework that worked for Moses and, and it worked for Jesus and his disciples. So how much more can it work for us? Okay, so if we go, if we just look at the celebration, for Jews, of course, in the Jewish communities, they don't have the New Testament, but their celebration on this holiday, Shavuot, is that God delivered the Torah. It goes right back to that. And so they put everything in motion to say, how can we receive the Torah again? Just like we were. So when the Jews celebrate the Passover, the rabbis say, celebrate Passover as if you were there being let out of slavery. And so it's a, a ritual to reenact the day that God led you out of whatever bondage you were in. So when you get to the Pentecost, you do a ritual that celebrates God delivering the Torah to you. Are you ready to receive his word once again? And then, for us, of course, Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost, the celebration, and the celebration of God delivering his Holy Spirit. And so, I'll just put it this way. I've never been at a church, as far as I can remember, unless I was just missing something, which I don't think I was, that really made a big deal about the Pentecost. Now, some churches do celebrate Pentecost, but I'm not sure they're doing it by doing the biblical studies of connecting it uh, with what's happening with Moses. Either way, uh, I, think, I think we could really enliven this holiday. So, what we can do is we look at this, this model that God gives us. It looks something like this, the, the Passover unleavened bread. The moment we celebrate the resurrection, which we call Easter, that first fruit holiday, the very next day we begin counting down 49 days. And just like an Advent-type calendar, you go 49, and you say, okay, 48. And now every day I'm going to take a step closer to receiving that Holy Spirit. and. There are Jewish communities that what they do is they're preparing their heart, and we could do the same thing. Every day we could take a step towards that, whole, that day of Holy Spirit and reenact when the Holy Spirit was first uh, delivered. So it becomes a, deli- it's a ritual. It's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not that the, God's Word isn't already with us every day of the week, and it's not that the Holy Spirit isn't with us, but that we put a ritual in our life to to remind us to celebrate that, be prepared for the the Holy Spirit. So what happens in a number of Jewish communities is these 49 days, they have a set, they have a set prayers or set scriptures that they read, and they envision it like you're climbing up Mount Sinai yourself, just like Moses, to receive the Torah at the peak of the uh, of the mountain. So it becomes a spiritual ascent. You want to open up your spirit just like you're the one going up Mount Sinai. So we talked about this 
a few times when we talked about the mountain of God and how important the imagery that in the ancient world they saw that mountain go up to a peak and it's the place where heaven can come down and meet. And so where do you meet God? It's up. You meet him on a mountain. And that's why every it, all throughout the Bible, even in our New Testament, if you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. doesn't matter what direction you're coming from. Up is to Jerusalem. Down is away from Jerusalem. That's where God lives. So what do we do? Well, we start that 49-day journey, and we go through prayer and meditation and study and worship with the anticipation that God's going to deliver the Holy Spirit. And I could guarantee you, if a whole church did this, where they were all in prayer for the Holy Spirit and opening themselves up to the Holy Spirit, wild things would happen. It would be crazy. It would be, a, it would be amazing stuff, because God loves to work like this. So you open up to the Holy Spirit, you ascend towards God. So it's like you're getting, you're priming yourself to receive the Holy Spirit again. You go, well, I already received it. I know, but you're, you put it in as a practice that you do, a ritual, just like communion. How many times can we take communion in our life? You don't do it once. You always go back and you want to reinvigorate that relationship with God by, by doing communion. Okay, so what if we could come up with a ritual? Well, let me just tell you about one. I'm going to just tell you about one ritual because I think what's happening here in these two Psalms is what's happening in Acts chapter 2. That the Psalms are coming to life in Acts chapter 2. So there's two Psalms that are going to be connected. And these are at the bottom of your, we're, out, we're now on number seven. There's two Psalms connected, at least in the Jewish mindset, with the holiday of Pentecost. So there are some Jewish communities who read Psalm 67. They read it every day for 49 days in a row leading up to the day of Pentecost. And then on the 50th day, they read Psalm 68. Now, why? Why are they doing that? What, why would that make sense to them to read these two psalms? So let's look closer. So Psalm 67. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 67, because we're going to, you, you can at least, it's, that one's a very short one. And then I need to show you there's a very difficult verse in Psalm 68. I'm going to show you a couple variations of how people translate it. But I think this verse you'll see in, in I put it on your sheet on, for Psalm 68. I think it's describing what's happening in Acts chapter 2. So, okay, let's, let's stick, stick with Psalm 67. What's interesting about Psalm 67 and the holiday of Pentecost? Well, first of all, the psalm is 49 Hebrew words. Now, in English, it's a lot more than that, because one Hebrew word can be like, and God said. So, 49. Well, what's 49 have to do with? Ah, count seven full weeks, 49 days. So, there's a psalm. In fact, the, song was pro the psalm was probably done by the psalmist, particularly for this holiday. It would make sense. 49 words. The theme of the psalm is a harvest. Look, if you look at Psalm 67, verse 6. The land yields its harvest. You know, in the ancient world, that harvest was everything. The anxiety, if that wheat didn't come in, you were terrified of a drought. And every year you had to live with the, the, the burden and the anxiety of where are we going to get our food from? 
that harvest doesn't come in. So they're always praying for God's salvation to bring about the harvest, because that's what's going to save them. So there's a harvest theme, but there's a more important theme. It's the salvation for the nations. So if you look at even verse 2, verse 1 and 2, mine says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. And what's happening on Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit is going out and it's bursting forth to all the nations so that all the nations will come to know God. So Psalm 67, very short psalm, 49 words. It's got that harvest theme. And oh, by the way, Pentecost being a huge harvest festival, one of the other books that you read on um, Pentecost is the book of Ruth. Why? Well, because Ruth takes place during the wheat harvest. Ruth is gleaning in Boaz's field. It's a Pentecost story. And she's a Gentile. She's a Moabite woman who turns to the people and the God of Israel. It's just like Psalm 67. Okay, so 49 days in a row, read Psalm 67. Why? Well, to get you to Psalm 68 on the day of Pentecost. And this one, you clearly, now we're not going to read the whole psalm, but you can clearly see when you read it that this is being connected to Mount Sinai. In fact, look at verse 8. So there's, uh, in verse 8, there's a phrase, Psalm, let's see, 68, 8. The earth shook, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai. So it's specifically placing God at Mount Sinai. And that's obviously why they're going to read it on Pentecost. So we have God showing up, God at Mount Sinai. That's part of the psalm. But look at verse 17. Verse 17, God is going to move into his sanctuary. So he's going from Mount Sinai into his sanctuary. Mine says, and the Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. So just like the book of Exodus, God moves from the top of the mountain down into the tabernacle. And then something even more amazing happens. And this is going to be, this is going to be tough. It's always difficult to show you comparisons of verses. You'll have to go back and look at it uh, yourself at some point but I wanted to at least get it for the video so that as people watch the video later, they can slow down, the, they can pause it and go look it up if they want to do that. Look at verses 28 and 29. And what's going to happen is God is going to give his power out of the sanctuary. Now, depending on the version of Bible you have, yours doesn't say that. There might even be a footnote. So if there's a footnote, look down at the bottom of your page at the footnotes, because a couple of them I'll show you have footnotes. What's happening that day on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? The power is coming out of the temple, and the Holy Spirit that was residing in that temple is going to land on the people. And now the temple of God, the presence of God, can go anywhere in the world. That's the picture that's coming out of that. So 
God and God's going to here is going to give power out of the sanctuary. So, okay, let's look now. Let me go through a couple of these. So the first one, I'm going to look at verse 28 and 29a, only the beginning of 29. First, let me show you on the screen here the English Standard Version. So it's called the ESV. Now, I don't know what you have. But you can see what's happening here. Verse 28 starts out, Summon your power, O God. Now, summon your power. Your Bible might not say that. But this one says, summon your power. Now, the emphasis there is on your power, God's power. Summon your power. But there's a footnote. And then you go down and you say, well, I better go read that footnote to see what it says. And then it says, oh, wait a minute. In Hebrew, it says, your God has summoned your power. Oh, well, that's different because now it looks like the people have the power instead of God having the power. So summon your power, O oh God. But then it's, well, wait a minute, there's a footnote. Okay. So it's summon your power, O oh God, the power by which you have worked for us because of your temple at Jerusalem. The kings bear gifts for you. Now, verse 29 is tough. It's really difficult. And I put it right here. There's a period. They put the period of the, at the, of the sentence after the king shall bear gifts for you. And I, and I think that's wrong. Uh, I'll show you one in a minute that's probably correct. And the last one, and I know that this gets really confusing, but this word that says because, verse 29, because of your temple at Jerusalem. The problem is, that's not the word for because in Hebrew. It's the word for from. From your temple. Where does the power of God come out of? It comes out of your temple at Jerusalem to the people. And that's Acts chapter 2. Okay, so I know that's a lot of squiggles and drawing on that slide there. Let me show you uh, one more. This is the NIV, and you'll see the NIV kind of does the same thing. So the New International Version starts out the same way. Summon your power, God. So it looks like the focus is your power, but oh, wait a minute. We've got a footnote. Better go read the footnote. And the NIV, their footnote's a little different. It says, yeah, Many Hebrew manuscripts and the Septuagint and the Syriac have this, but most Hebrew manuscripts, so the majority, have a different verse. Your God has summoned power for you. That's the NIV. And once again, just like on the ESV, it shifts, and the focus now goes to God is summoning power for you, the people. Okay, now, uh, one other one, let me put this up here, is called the Tree of Life version. Now, this is a little bit different here. It says, your God commanded your strength. And I think if you have the King James or the New King James, yours says something like that about commanding strength. So it's a little bit different. Your God commanded your strength. And then here... It actually has the word from, from your temple. That's correct, from your temple. Okay, because where's the power coming out of? From your temple. Now, they still have the sentence right there at the period. So that's, I don't think that's correct. Now, let's get to the right one, because I just want to show you, sometimes, in, especially in the Psalms, you know, it's poetry. Poetry is not always easy to translate. And all translation 
is also interpretation. Because the people doing it have to say, well, how do we interpret that? What does that really mean? These sentences are have awkward structure. They don't translate well or interpret well from Hebrew to English. And you can see these translators are struggling. So the one that I put on your sheet, it's at the very bottom of your sheet. And this one is from, um, so, well, it's same verses, 28 and 29. And this is from the Jewish Public Publication Society. Sorry, JPS, Jewish Publication Society. The Tanakh. Tanakh is the Jewish way of saying the what we call the Old Testament. They call it the Tanakh. Stands for Torah, the Nevi'im, which are the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which are the writings. The Torah, the prophet, the writing. Now, this one you have on your sheet, so you can read this along with me. And look how they translate it. Your God has ordained strength for you. Ah, so the psalmist is saying, hey, your God, the one that we worship, he's ordaining, he's causing strength for you. Well, what strength? The strength, O God, which you displayed for us, where did you display it? From your temple above Jerusalem. And they have it, what I believe is correct, the from your temple. And then what you notice is they move the period. They put the period, because Hebrew doesn't have periods. Sometimes you can tell the end of the sentence. They put the period. So that's a, that's a whole sentence right there. Your God has ordained strength for you. Strength, O God, which you've displayed for us from your temple in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. So we get this. This is amazing psalm. God gives power out of the sanctuary. And if we, if we don't translate that correctly and understand that this psalm is a Pentecost psalm, we, we can miss it because it's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Now, I know I'm just throwing these two psalms at you for the first time tonight, so go back and read that. Make sure you pay attention to the, the version that I'm giving you, though, because it, that trans, different translation really helps. I think it's the more accurate one. So. Finally, go down to the very last verse in Psalm 68. It's, uh, oh, I put my slides wrong. It's verse 35. Psalm 68, 35. God's giving power to the people. It says, you are awesome, O God, in your holy places. It is the God of Israel who gives might and power to the people. And that's what the Acts 2 Pentecost does for us as God's Holy Spirit comes out and then dwells in our communities very powerfully. Okay, so really cool. I think this would be an amazing, uh, an amazing thing to do. After Easter's over, start counting down to Pentecost. Read Psalm 67 every day. When you get to Pentecost, celebrate Psalm 68 and God coming out of that temple uh, to give us his power. So in, in quick review, you can, I hope you can see, this is what we want to compare. What happened at Exodus is repeating itself in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Same holiday, Greek Pentecost, Hebrew Shavuot. And you think, in how much detail is it re repeating itself? Well, all the way up until how many people died and how many people saved, 3,000 in each one. And I think that just blows your mind when you see that. 
those details. And then, as I suggested, we could be doing the same thing. We could go into these holidays and saying, look, we're going to go pay attention to that. We're going to celebrate the day, the anniversary that God gave us the Holy Spirit and the Torah. And so, as a community, get together, pray. You know, you could come up with your own guide. You could probably find some guides on, online that help your, you spiritually open up to the Holy Spirit. And I could guarantee you, as a community, I bet your, everybody's eyes would be opened as God's Spirit would begin to move because this is the model God gave us. And if we ignore his model, we ignore it to our peril. So, okay, that's Exodus, the Torah, or the giving of the Torah, and the Holy Spirit. And hopefully I was able to tie those together. When we get into the holidays, particularly this Pentecost holiday, it is so impactful for, for what the power of community means. And so I think you'll see when we get to this holiday, God's presence is moving into his new temple, and that's us. We are the living stones being built together into a spiritual house for the presence of God to dwell. Where's God's Holy Spirit today? It's when a group of people, living stones, get together at your church and praise God. Then the Holy Spirit amplifies. It's like, yeah, you can, you can be a, a living stone off on your own, but you don't have the strength that you do in community. And that's the so important of community. And this is what Acts 2 is showing us, that now the presence of God, it's in San Diego, it's in Nashville, it's in wherever you are, all the way around the world, because it's a group of living stones coming together. and They become the, the sanctuary for God's Holy Spirit. It's a very powerful way to uh, look at the importance of community. So that'll be something to look forward to.